What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB, E-T-H-O-S, FantasyBB is where we post all of our new podcasts, articles, news, and notes. Every update we got on the baseball slash fantasy baseball side does go out at EthosFantasyBB on Twitter, so make sure you're following. We're just nearly at 1,000 followers. Really appreciate you guys logging in and quickly hitting the follow button, getting all of our new content, and helping us out in the process, so that would really mean a lot. I also want to mention here off the top that we are hiring people here at Sports Ethos. It's pretty much always the case that we are bringing people on, but specifically right now, we're trying to add to our baseball and to our DFS teams. I'm trying to add some team coverage podcasts. We've got the Braves going. We have the Dodgers, which is kind of in limbo. Dan Bespris has started up the feed. Uh, I don't know if he's actually done any podcasts, but he'll be doing the Dodgers. We have the Braves cast. I think we've got Mariners settled after today as well. We've had a lot of people uh, sending messages regarding team coverage, regarding fantasy analyst positions, regarding DFS stuff. So reach out if you're somebody who's interested in breaking into the industry, whether it is on the fantasy side or just from the baseball side, because ideally I'd like to have as much content as possible, not just with baseball, with everything really, but it doesn't have to be limited to a fantasy point of view. I know you guys are listening to the show you're probably into fantasy baseball. That's a safe assumption. But if it's something that you're maybe not as comfortable writing about, maybe you play fantasy baseball casually, but you're a lot more in tune with the actual game itself, whether it be from a contract standpoint, from a minor league standpoint, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be fantasy. I know this is a fantasy pod. It's not all we do. We have a lot of stuff going on. So reach out if you're interested in getting into the quote unquote biz on the writing side, on the podcasting side. Whatever it is you're interested in, reach out and we'll see if we got something for you because we are still growing here, especially our baseball side, still in its relative infancy, and we are trying to grow as much as possible. So reach out if you think you can have uh, something that you can contribute to the team here, whether it is on the writing side, the podcasting side, editing. There's a ton of different positions open, so reach out and we can have a conversation there. Today we are going to talk about a couple of bits of news that have come out over the last couple of days. We're going to go over my notes from yesterday's games. And we are also going to do a mailbag segment. I think we got 13 or 15 questions over on Twitter. I posted out a thing this morning asking you guys to share your questions. And we got some uh, a good amount of responses there, so I appreciate that. We're going to get to those closer to the end of the show, but we are going to start off with the big news of the day. Bryce Harper. I am stunned at this. I am truly... I, I, I'm not the biggest injury expert, right? I am not somebody who knows how the body works very well. I would not have thought that within about five months of Tommy John surgery, that Bryce Harper would be back on the field. He is going to be back starting tomorrow. He is likely to be, well, he's going to be activated tomorrow, and he is likely to serve as the DH against the Dodgers. He had Tommy John surgery November 23rd. Now, whenever we hear Tommy John, we always think about it from a pitching standpoint because it's usually an injury that, or usually surgery uh, that pitchers have to have. It's not as serious of a recovery time if you are talking about a position player, but this is still an incredible, incredible thing that he's beaten this timeline by this much. Pretty much everybody that you were talking to, anybody who you know generally knew what they were talking about, was telling you that he was not going to be coming back until probably the All-Star break. And that was generally accepted to be true, and it was something that, you know, it's There was no reason to doubt it, right? There was no reason to think that he would beat the timeline by this much. But here we are, Bryce Harper, having missed just barely a month of the season, is already going to be back here. 
I am stunned. I'm honestly stunned that he is already going to be back. I'm very happy about it, especially, well, I don't actually have any shares, especially for you guys if you were the people who actually drafted Bryce Harper because you got a King's Ransom discount. He, you know, We talk about league winner. We throw around the term, oh, he's a league winner. He's going to win you the league. This is actually a case where if you drafted Bryce Harper this year and he's coming back and he is 80% of himself, 75% of himself, you have a huge victory here. Looking at Yahoo ADP, he was going 132 on average. Pulling up the NFBC main event, which is the highest stakes, well, not the highest stakes, but the highest profile, high stakes fantasy baseball tournament that there is in the industry. Bryce Harper's ADP was 218. His minimum pick was 136. The max was 296. This is crazy game-changing if you took Bryce Harper at pick 296 like in a 15-team league if you're taking him at pick 296 you're getting him like round 20 I believe that's round 20 holy crap there's not really that much analysis I can give you other than just be flabbergasted that he has beaten the timeline this much now they had talked about him playing first base I think that that is maybe going to be eventually what they do because they don't have Hoskins because they don't have Derek Hall he was going to be DHing anyway, so I think that they might end up using him at first, like we talked about a little while back, a week or two ago, now that they were saying he wanted to try and take reps at first base so that he can help the team more so than just on the batting side of things when he comes back. So according to the report from Rotowire, and working at first base in the event the Phillies want to ease him into the field there, it'll probably be a while before he's anything but the DH. So in a lot of these formats, well, in the NFBC, he is utility only. On Yahoo, he is outfield. So it really depends on your format, depending on when he is going to gain eligibility. If you're in Yahoo, it doesn't really matter. He's already somebody you could slot in in the outfield there. If you're in an NFBC league, you're hoping for first base at this point because I don't think he's going to play 10 outfield games. I think it's a lot more likely he's going to play 10 times at first. Then you have to actually ask yourself, will the, well, we don't really know, but will it be successful? We have no way of knowing if Bryce Harper is going to be able to play first base. I honestly don't know that Bryce Harper, I'm going to look it up real quick. If he's ever appeared at first base in a major league game, I would imagine probably not. Maybe as like a defensive sub. Let me just quickly double check there because that's a bit of a variable. If he comes in, he's awful at first base, and they're just going to put him at DH, and he won't have that eligibility. Uh, so he's played twice. He's appeared at first base in his career, once in 2018 with the Nationals and once in 2021 with the Phillies. Now, if I go to the fielding area here, we're talking about uh, it wasn't even a full inning in 2018, and it was a third of an inning in 2021. So we don't really know what he's going to look like as a first baseman. That will dictate how soon he gains eligibility. And of course, aside from all that, how will his body react? Will he hold up? Will he be able to stay on the field consistently? I think there's a chance that the Phillies, maybe they put him out of first base a couple times, and they maybe think, oh, you know what? Is it worth putting him in any more risk than is necessary? There's already enough risk coming back, uh, going into the DH spot, taking you know his usual reps, going through his workouts, and then at bats and games, there's still chance of of some kind of injury happening there for sure. Um, you know, it's an elbow, it's an elbow problem. So, will it will it bother him with um, with the swing? I don't know. I, I really don't know what's going to happen with Bryce Harper. It is a wild card at this point for sure. It is a good wild card, but there are a lot of questions that I have too, specifically regarding when he will gain eligibility in those formats. So 
he's obviously a must start. Where you have him, if you're still setting weekly lineups, you got to put him back in there. Even if it's in the utility spot, it's Bryce Harper, right? Even if he plays three, four games, he can hit five home runs. It's, it's Bryce Harper. Now, it all goes back to what I said about the elbow. How will he properly react? Are they rushing him? They are. It seems to be rushing him quite a bit here. He's beaten the timeline by two months, two plus months. Like, that's. I'm a little bit nervous. Like, I'm excited, but I'm also nervous at the prospects of maybe this is a little bit too soon. Maybe it's not necessary. But we'll have to see how it plays out. He's an obvious must-start wherever you have him. Daily, weekly, however you set your lineups. Monthly, I don't care what it is. It's the first of the month here. I don't know. I've ever heard of a monthly lineup format like that. But if you have Bryce Harper, he is an absolute must-start player here. He's only 94% rostered on Yahoo, which... I know it's 94%. It's pretty much all the way there. But if you're in like 20 Yahoo leagues and you lose track of individual waiver wires, put his name in the search bar. Maybe you're in a very shallow league. Maybe you're in an eight-team league and Bryce Harper just was an afterthought in drafts. I don't know where that 6% would be coming from, but make sure that he's not available. It's very, very obvious, not very hard-hitting there, but make sure Bryce Harper is not just sitting on the waiver wire in your league. This is a, this is a big news story for sure, him coming back this soon. Now, this one's bad. This one is not what I want to hear necessarily. As a Blue Jay fan, I have mixed feelings of it. But as a fantasy manager, you don't want to see this at all. Aaron Judge potentially could go on the IL with a hip problem. Uh, it's He's missed three straight games now. He left uh, Thursday's game early. It was, uh, was it his right or his left? It was his right hip uh, discomfort here. This one is kind of tricky as well. If you're setting a weekly lineup, I don't think you can put Aaron Judge in there at this point. I think that there's a chance he has to go to the IL. The fact that they've taken so long to decide whether or not he needs the IL probably indicates that he needs the IL. Uh, you know, they, I don't know why teams, you know, it, playing games maybe not might, might be the right word, but messing around with their studs. You know, Bryce Harper. I don't know if their Phillies are messing around necessarily, but coming bringing him back as soon as they did, they'd have to be very confident that he is okay here. It feels like it might be pushing it a little bit here. I don't know if the Yankees should necessarily be pushing Aaron Judge. Now, I know their lineup has been the butt end of a lot of jokes since he's been out because it looks dreadful. They are currently in the basement of the AL East at 15 and 14, so it's not the end of the world. So they might think, okay, we need to get Judge out there as much as possible. They should be playing the long game realistically, and they should not be pushing Aaron Judge to get out there before he is fully healthy. The hip can impact the way that he is turning in the box, the way that he is turning on pitches, the way that he's playing the field. I think that they should probably just put him on the injured list and let him recover instead of having to worry about any kind of crazy shit going on with him getting a worse injury, having some kind of thing that keeps him out for a couple months. Like, I don't know why they would even chance that. I think if there's this much debate for several days now about whether or not he should go on the IL, they should just put him on the IL. And my advice would be, if your lineup's locked today, that you probably shouldn't put him in your lineup for a weekly lineup. I, I don't know that Aaron Judge is you – know, it's, it's very tempting, obviously, but especially if it's just a lineup where you set the first half of the week, like an NFBC-style Monday to Thursday hitters. I don't know that Aaron Judge is going in any of those lineups. I don't have him in any NFBC leagues, so I don't have to make that decision. But if you do, uh, I don't know that we're necessarily going to see him playing over the next couple days. Even if they don't decide to IL him, they might just decide to keep him out over the next few days. I don't expect him to get back into the lineup today – or no, he's not in the lineup today, but tomorrow or the day after. They got the off day on Thursday, so it's really you're looking at two games from Aaron Judge if you start him in the first half of this week, NFBC-style, you know, Monday through Thursday lineup. I don't know that he's necessarily going to cut it there uh, if he does play those two games while he's laboring. So I am probably sitting him there. It's tricky, but I think the Yankees should just do the right thing and put him on the IL. That's That would be what I would do uh, at this point. Let's talk about Lou Bob, Luis Robert. 
This one was kind of interesting over the weekend. If you guys saw the video, it was a good laugh anyway. You had a very good laugh watching him at first. I, I mean, my friends and I did. Watching him kind of mail out, <laughs> mail in this uh, <laughs> ground ball out to the pitcher. He barely put in any effort, it seemed. And there's been conflicting reports on it, too, which it makes it more confusing to evaluate how exactly this is going to work. So uh, the initial report was that Luis Robert was pulled because he was... I actually can't remember what the first report is. They've bounced back and forth a couple times. Initially, I think it might have been that he was... It was a hamstring. And then it was disciplinary because he didn't rush the ball or he didn't, you know run out the first base as well as he should have. He didn't put enough effort into into running the play out. And a lot of people thought that he got pulled because of that. And then there was talk of there's a hamstring injury. And we've seen kind of both things said here in the media. I honestly don't know what to believe at this point. If it's actually an injury or if they're just trying to cover up the embarrassment that is that franchise by saying it's an injury as opposed to just, yeah, he just couldn't have given a shit running out the ball there. Now they say today he is dealing with hamstring tightness I, I don't know what to believe here because the White Sox are such a dumpster fire of a franchise at this point. I'm sorry to Mike Carter, our good friend, and any other White Sox fans who are listening here. But they're just not a team you can really trust. And I, I don't know if this is, you know, Lou Bob doesn't give a shit or Lou Bob is actually hurt. Another guy where you're probably sitting him in weekly lineups, especially if it's a Monday through Thursday kind of ordeal here. I, I They're not playing today, so you're getting three games max. If he comes back, you're getting those three games. I don't know that I'm really going to be starting him. He's not been the greatest so far this year. He started off real hot. He's got five homers and a steal, but he's batting 213. He's kind of cooled off a little bit over these last couple weeks. He's five for his last 43. Even if he is healthy, I don't know that he's somebody I'm really that confident in sticking out there. This White Sox team is a disaster. I am really not too bullish on their prospects for this season. And if you know this kind of thing continues... We're going to have to pull the plug on a lot of fantasy assets here. Like, as a side note, like Eloy Jimenez. Got a lot of questions about Eloy. I don't know that Eloy is necessarily going to be somebody that I trust in fantasy this year at all. Like, he's day-to-day right now, again, with a sore leg. He went four for five yesterday, which is very good. But he's still batting two twenty-five on the year. He's got two homers and 80 at-bats. I just think this team is just a nightmare for fantasy purposes. You know, whether Lou Bob is actually hurt or whether it's a lack of hustle, either way, it's not good. You know, both of these guys dealing with injuries, which is just, you know, exactly what we predicted before the season. You know, I'm not trying to toot horns or victory lap, but it was so obvious they weren't going to stay healthy. It's like DeGrom, you know. I drafted DeGrom in one league, but I knew I'm going to have to miss him for some time. It was kind of the same thing with these two. But DeGrom at least has been elite when he's been out there. These two have been awful. You know, Robert started off well. He has not been good at all since. I was a stat, I think it was... Partly when they were in Toronto, and it was, uh, you know, overlapping that series and one other series, he was like over 22 with 17 strikeouts or something ridiculous number. Like it was awful. This team is just not focused. You know, uh, we have to apologize to Tony Larusa because clearly it was not him. Uh, he was not the one who's responsible for this. It's just the team doesn't give a shit. They got essentially a minor league roster where guys who don't care, guys who get hurt. There is not enough talent there. There's not enough hustle. They're awful. They're an awful team. Luis Robert, I don't know if he's actually injured or not, but either way, really, really not excited for any White Sox going forward. It's really bad, guys. It is awful. I apologize to any White Sox fans who had to listen to that just now, but they are a joke. If you haven't heard it, there was a caller on a, on a ESPN 
Chicago affiliate right, White Sox. I'm not sure if it was a White Sox station or if it's just a Chicago station, but this caller uh, called in and he laid into the team. And you can see the clip online if you just look up White Sox radio caller. You'll find it for sure. It's an awesome encapsulation of what being a White Sox fan, I'm sure, is. I'm very far from a White Sox fan, but can definitely sympathize with those guys because all the talent that they have on that roster over the last couple of years, it's honestly it's a ridiculous shame that they've let it go to waste. But let's talk one more thing before we get into my notes from yesterday. Tyler Molly has been shut down for the next month, apparently. They say at least four weeks he'll miss. Now, he has a posterior impingement and a flexor pronator strain. Very fancy way of saying the elbow is all screwed up. I am not really that excited uh, at all for Tyler Molly right now. He has been pretty good so far this season. You know, in 25 and two-thirds, he's got 28 Ks. He's got a 3.16 ERA. He's got a 1.05 whip. I just don't know that he's necessarily going to cut it in a lot of leagues, especially with being shut down for a month here. If you're in a league with no IL spots, Tyler Molly is not somebody that you can hold on to. If you got the IL, then there's no reason not to, right? You stick him on there, and you just hope that he is, you know, comes back sooner rather than later, and you don't have too many injuries where you have to be dropping him. I think that it really is league and size dependent. If you have the IL, really, is, is the main factor there. If you have it, then keep him. If you don't, then I don't think he is worth stashing through what is likely going to be four to six weeks, I think, because they're shutting him down for a month. And then after that, it's anybody's guess as to how long it'll take him to actually ramp back up again and if he'll be good once he ramps back up. You know, they have options in their rotation as well with Bailey Ober, and they've got you know a good minor league system. I, I don't know that he is necessarily going to be somebody that I want to that I want to be holding. I have a lot of I had a lot of faith coming into the season, and he's looked pretty good. But I just think, considering the way that we've seen injuries, we've seen players go down this year, is there really going to be that much room for him? Even if you have IL, is it going to be an available IL spot? I really, I really don't know. Between Pablo Lopez, Bailey Ober, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, and Molly, you know they've got a good rotation. I don't know necessarily they're going to push him back again. I think they're going to probably let him heal. This probably will be on the longer end of the timeline. I don't know that we're going to see him back after the minimum four weeks. I think it probably will be a lot longer than that based on what we're seeing here. Uh, shut down at least four weeks. So you're probably honestly looking at closer to two months. Let's go and take a look at the notes that I put out from yesterday's games. I had been sick for the last week or so, so apologies because I had just taken time to kind of get back and get right. You guys heard it on last week's podcast in the last half of the week. They were very short. Couldn't really get going. I was in bed a lot of the time, so apologies for the lack of quick hits uh, last week, but we are back. And we are going to start with Taylor Walls. So he seems to be playing himself into a pretty regular role with Tampa. I went back and forth with a couple people yesterday on Twitter, including Rob DiPietro. Uh, he hosts the Launch Angle podcast with Rob Silver and Jeff Zimmerman, and he also hosts uh, the, the Pull Hitter podcast. He does a great job. Pushing back a little bit on me saying that Walls is becoming kind of an everyday player, it is tricky in that lineup, for sure. Like the way that the Rays, you know, they deploy players. You never really know what the hell is going to happen with the Rays. He could be sent down tomorrow. Probably not. That's hyperbolic. But the way that they deploy their players – whether we're talking pitchers or position players, it doesn't really matter. It can be a little bit confusing for sure. He's played seven of the last 10 games. He's eligible at second, third, and short, and he can play in those different positions, and they do bounce him around over the field there. Considering the way he's been producing, he's batting over 300. He's got four homers. He's got five steals to this point. I think he'll probably be a mainstay in the lineup, and while I say everyday role, 
Maybe it doesn't mean every single game he's going to be playing. He's not going to play 162, but can he play five, maybe six days a week if we're talking a seven-game week? I think he absolutely can. Taylor Walls looks very good. He's not going to give you a ton of power, so you know, take these four home runs and maybe put them uh, beside a grain of salt there because I don't know that we're going to see a ton of power from him. Not a big max exit velocity guy, not a big barrel rate guy, never a huge minors, uh, minor league power guy. But I think in that lineup, giving you those runs, the stolen bases, and hopefully a pretty solid batting average, I think he's worth a speculative add at this point. 41% rostered in Yahoo leagues. Not somebody I'd say is a must-roster, but in a 12-team league, I think that a guy like that, to have even on your bench is, as a versatility play, is very valuable, uh, second, third, and short eligibility. So Taylor Walls, take a look and see if he is available uh, in any of your leagues. I think that he is somebody who could have a lot of value. Josh Young, we've been on this one for a while. <clears throat> Josh Young hit a grand slam yesterday. He's put together a great first month of the season. 27 for his first 100. 18 runs, 6 homers, 21 RBIs, and a stolen base. Now, last night he was 62% rostered in Yahoo leagues. Let's take a look and see if that jumped up. Up to 64. He's closing in on being a top 50 player to this point of the season. I think that he is pretty easily a top 10 third baseman going forward. I don't know why he is available in as many leagues as he is, but I don't think there's any league where, where you should be able to find him. In that lineup, what he is producing could be a huge value if you're still able to find him on waiver wires. Mostly going to be more shallow leagues at 64% rostered, but take a look. You might be able to find him there in a 10 or even possibly a 12-team league. Andrew Vaughn has been a disappointment this season, uh, but he seems to be getting back on track. He's got two homers in the last three games. I'm still holding, even in the most shallow leagues, you know, the profile is 20, roughly 20 home runs. He could be potentially maybe a 300 batting average kind of guy. It's only 255 this season with the slumping he's had so far. I, I'm willing to bet that he can be closer to a 270, 280 kind of guy and give you closer to 20 home runs. First base and outfield eligible. I'm not ready to give up on Andrew Vaughn, even though I know some people have been recently. Now, this one's going to sound very obvious. It is very obvious, but based on the roster percentages, you might not think so. Brent Rooker, he is a must-add in all leagues. When I put this out last night, 20, or 61% rostered. He's up to 71% rostered now. Continue to climb, considering he hit the home run yesterday. I don't know if he'll keep it up. I really don't. I don't know if Brent Rooker is going to be you know, the next Barry Bonds. Likely he's not, but at this point, you add him and you hope for the best, and you just generally see if he's able to maintain it. Because even if he doesn't, you drop him, you move on. That's why you have those streaming spots earlier in the year for a guy like Brent Rooker, because he is somebody where... You know, if he keeps up his current pace, then he's going to you know, break the home run record. He's not going to do that, obviously, but somebody that definitely should not be on waiver wires at this point. Nick Senzel, I think that he is a pretty solid add in your deeper leagues. He's not somebody where I would be really interested in your shallow Yahoo kind of leagues. 13% rostered over there. He's playing every day, though, uh, you know, providing solid power speed numbers to this point. Two homers, he's got two steals in his 54 at-bats. 13 runs and 11 RBIs as well. He's batting 278. Third base and outfield eligible in Yahoo. I, I think he's a really attractive player, more so in your deeper leagues. I think a 15-team league, he is a guy I'd go for. 10 or 12, I don't think he really cuts it. But in your deeper formats, I think Nick Senzel is somebody that I would definitely be taking a look at. Now, Logan Allen. Logan Allen is kind of a tricky one to figure out. I think that he's going to be here to stay at the big league level, considering how he's performed thus far. Through 11 innings, he's got a victory. Three earned runs, which is a 246 ERA, three walks, and 16 strikeouts. He's also got a 109 whip. He was at 35% yesterday. He's only up to 36% over in Yahoo Leagues. I think he's worth a speculative ad right now. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to take a chance on him. 
I believe his next start will be against Minnesota, and I think that that's you know somewhere where you're going to be pretty interested in starting him again. Logan Allen has looked very good. I'd get in while you can. He was a pretty popular guy last night in Fab. A lot of people bid on him, and understandably so. Uh, you know, even, was it even last week that he was getting bid on as well? I can't remember now. If some people bid on him the week before. No, I think he was, he just came into the player pool uh, for this for this Fab period. But he was a popular ad. People are very interested, as they should be. He's looked very good. Uh, strikeout upside is through the roof so far. Really liking what we've seen uh, with Logan Allen at the big league level. Now, Ezekiel Tovar has been a disappointment this season, and it's been a bit better this past week. I don't think he's going to cut it in most leagues. He's 28% rostered on Yahoo. Uh, I think you can move on in your 10 and 12 teamers. Now, somebody did answer back, uh, giving me a bit of pushback there. Tovar's batting 320 with an 840 OPS his last 25 at-bats. We're talking about a handful of games there. Like we're not talking twenty-five at bats. We're talking six games. It's it's better for sure. Like I said, it's better. But in your twelve-team leagues, ten-team leagues, you know, you're talking about a guy who is at the bottom of the order. He's batting eighth or ninth every single game. He does not have a single home run or a stolen base through the month of April. He's batting two thirteen at Coors. You know, two eighty-six over the last week is great. Still not going to cut it for me in your shallow formats. If you're in a deeper league, 15-teamer, no problem holding on to Ezekiel Tovar. But in your 10 and 12s, there's a, there's better options out there. He was a dark horse pick for me for Rookie of the Year. Uh, so I definitely not somebody I want to be cutting. I have more hope than, you know, I have more faith going into the season than what we've seen so far actually pan out. But I don't think he's somebody that you necessarily should be holding. Uh, if you want to hold him in a 12-teamer, you can. But I think there's better options for you out there. Let's talk Joey Manessis. Oh, man, I didn't want to talk any more Joey Manessis this year, but I suppose I have to. He sucks, guys. He's not a good baseball player, and I, I feel bad. You know, I, I feel bad. I'm an asshole for saying that. He's just not very good, you know. He went 4-for-5 yesterday, which boosted him up to 286 on the season. Good for him. Batting in the middle of the order, you'd think that there would be potential there for some power stats or some counting stats. you got to factor in that he plays for one of the worst teams in baseball, for the Nationals. He's a career minor leaguer, somebody who the hype train probably got a little bit out of control for in the preseason. And the early return so far, you know, he's got his batting average up to 286. Going into yesterday, uh, it was, what was it? Let me just quickly see. Uh, 261. And he really boosted it up with, you know, the four-hit game yesterday. He's got the one home run. He's got zero steals so far. I just think him being on 50% of rosters in Yahoo leagues is pretty ridiculous. Like, we're talking mostly shallow formats on Yahoo. We're talking mostly 10 and 12 teamers. There's some 15s for sure. There's some deeper ones. But for the most part, I don't know why Joey Manessis is somebody that is being rostered in three outfielder leagues. I, I don't understand it at all. Last year, he was great over a fairly small sample size. He has not at all replicated what he did over that period. Last year, he had 13 home runs in 222 at-bats. He's got almost half, or more than half, excuse me, of the at-bats he had last year. He's already up at 112, and he's only got the one home run. So the power, I don't know that it was ever going to be as legit as we saw at the Major League level last year. It's proving that probably is not the case long-term. He is somebody that I'd be very comfortable moving on from. If you have Joey Manessis, drop him and see if you got Brent Rooker there. Take a look and see if you can make that trade, because I'm sure a lot of people can make that swap on their waiver wire. I would recommend doing it if you can. Not even necessarily for Rooker, for anybody. I just think Manessis is not somebody who is going to cut it in a um, 10 or a 12-team league. He's just not somebody that I'm that I'm really that interested in here. 
Okay, let's talk about some of these questions that you guys sent in earlier today. First one from Tino Ganashius. Tino, good guy. We did a panel together uh, for Potapalooza with Justin Mason. Now, this question is not something that is really my forte, but I'll give it my best shot here. So Bryce Miller is going to be coming up to the bigs. I think when he sent this question in, it was actually right before Bryce Miller was called up. I'm not sure because it was there was a lot of talk about him. And then um, he was actually called. He was, there was talk about him yesterday and early this morning, and then he was called up this afternoon. Uh, he will start Tuesday against the Athletics. So, you know, right there, before we answer the question, I think he's a pretty reasonable streaming option for Tuesday in your daily leagues. 3% rostered in Yahoo, gone up from 1% earlier today. I think that he's somebody that, you know, anybody pretty much has viability against Oakland. Even if it's your first career start, I think that he's somebody where you got to take a look at him. Now, the question was, where do you rank Bryce Miller next to Fott? Mason Miller, Bibby, other highly titled pitchers recently are soon to be called up. Now, this is definitely not my forte. I'm going to be honest with you, you guys who listen regularly know I'm not a big dynasty slash keeper league guy. That being said, Tanner, I'm always mixed up with Bibby or Bybee. I'm not actually 100% sure how it goes, but... He is somebody where I think that he can be very good. And again, I want to preface this, just to hammer it home, for prospects, you should look at guys like Eric Cross, uh, Chris Clegg, uh, the Welsh, Chris Welsh, James Anderson. These guys really know the prospect world a lot better than I do. Now, that being said, Tanner Bybee, the profile, high strikeout numbers, always had very good ratios in the minor leagues, typically very good control, too, outside of the small stretch that he had at AAA this year. Very good control with high strikeouts, typically good ratios, in a great pitching organization. I think Tanner Bybee is who I would put first on that list in terms of the guys that you put there. Mason Miller is a very interesting one as well. Now, funny, I actually had a heart attack. I was watching the, the Toronto Maple Leafs game with my a couple of friends the other night, and one of them said, yeah, Mason Miller, he got sent down to AAA today. He was talking out of his ass. He thought he was correct. Uh, good friend Michael Delisio. He thought that Miller got sent down, and I was, I was like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. Like, you have got to be kidding me. They sent down Mason Miller after two starts. It is not the case. He did not actually get sent down. That was the scare. Now, with Mason Miller, I think the upside is higher with him than anybody else on this list. I just think that Bybee is – Bibby, Bybee, I think it's Bybee, is the safer option there considering I think that, you know, Cleveland, first of all, better team. You're not going to have as many blowups, even just if you're talking about the defense behind him, more potential for wins. Safer from that regard – Miller is safer from the potential of the strikeouts because the strikeout rates are like absolutely ridiculous. Like you have to look at fan graphs yourself to kind of believe them. We're talking small sample sizes here, but over two, three games, usually looking at like a 50 plus percent strikeout rate. He's a good ballpark to pitch in. He has a bad team that he's pitching for. And I think the innings are a bit of a question as well for Mason Miller. I think maybe a hundred, roughly 120 innings, potentially he could give you, he's the guy that I would slot in there second behind, um, Behind Tanner, Tanner Bybee. Jesus. So Bybee, Miller. Then next up, I think I would honestly have Brandon Fought. We haven't seen him at the Major League level, but what we have seen at the minors has been ridiculously good as well. He is expected to be coming up this week on the Wednesdays when they need a starter. Now, I actually started Brandon Fought in a weekly league where I am just desperate for pitching stats, and I don't even know 100% if he's going to be out there. But he is somebody where I felt the confidence to start him. Good strikeout with excellent control we've seen at the minor league level, like Sub 5% walk rates a lot of the time. Somebody that I have a lot of faith in going forward. I think the Brandon Fott should be added and stashed wherever you can. Uh, he is number three on that list for me. And then Bobby Miller would be number four. 
I like him. I think that he is pretty good while also, again, saying I am not, you know, or excuse me, not Bobby Miller. I'm mixing up my, my prospects here. Bryce Miller. Bryce Miller. A lot of Miller pitching prospects. Bryce Miller. I think that he is somebody where we might be expecting a little bit too much. Now, I still think he is going to be fine to stream against Oakland. But if you look at what he's done across the minor league levels, pretty good. Pretty good. Strikeout numbers usually pretty good. The control is not quite as good as some of the other guys we've talked about. And he actually hasn't had the greatest start to his AAA season. For his first four starts, he's looking at a 641 ERA. 597 FIP either. So he hasn't exactly been getting screwed or anything. He just hasn't been that good. Hasn't been stranding base runners, uh, only at 57% in the minors. 305 Babbitt, fairly average, you know. He's not been that successful at double A. So I am a little bit cautious about what we can expect from him going to the major league level now. He is who I would rank fourth on that list for sure. Bit of a long-winded answer. I'm not the, the biggest prospect guy, again, for the eighth time. But that is the order I would rank them in. Bybee, Mason Miller, Brandon Fott, and then Bryce Miller at the end of that list. Is Jordan Walker worth stashing in a 14-team league? That is the next question here. I think he is worth stashing in a 14-team league. You know, he is still somebody that I have a lot of faith in uh, going forward. What we saw at the major league level was two homers, two steals, and a 274 average. We're not talking about somebody who came up in Kellenick, you know, for you know, using Kellenick as a verb there. He didn't do that. He came up and he was fairly successful. Yes, he kind of tailed off a little bit in his last few games. A little bit, but he honestly didn't really even. He just lost playing time because they're just a poorly constructed roster. As great of an organization as St. Louis typically is, they're not really the best constructed roster at this point in time. I think he'll be up again soon. I think I'd be holding him pretty much anywhere in a 10-teamer if you don't want to, if you can't, if you don't have the room, whatever then fine. But I think anything 12 and deeper, Jordan Walker should be stashed wherever you're talking. Uh, you know, whatever kind of points, Roto, head-to-head, whatever it is, he is somebody that I would not be dropping And at any rate. Okay, when do we anticipate Taj Bradley getting called back up? I think it'll be next week, probably, based on what they've said. They want to stretch him out so he can pitch every fifth day, uh, whatever nonsense, bullshit reason they gave us. Manipulating the service time, for sure. Now, again, I'm not somebody who is great with minor league and the way that the minor league rules work, but I think he'll be back up within the next couple of weeks. If Tosh Bradley is sitting on your waiver wire, or if you still have him, somebody that you should have a lot of interest in. You should not be dropping him. You should be picking him up and stashing him where you can. The early returns have been great. He's a top prospect. He's pitching for a great team. Now, they are a team that is a little bit strange historically with how they use their pitchers. Will it be... You know, 120 innings, you know, based on what I've talked, what I've heard and talked about with other people in the industry, probably expect about 120 innings from him, pretty much right in line with what McClanahan, Shane McClanahan got a couple years ago. That'd be what I expect, and I think you have to be holding him wherever. So in the next couple weeks or so, uh, I would, probably even a week, I would say, is probably when we're going to likely see him back up. Uh, and the same, same guy, another question here, Edward Olivares. Where do you have Olivares in deep leagues? In deep leagues, I think he is a must-roster player in your 15-team formats. He's playing almost every day. He's batting typically in the middle of the lineup. He's moved around a little bit. He's gone from second down to seventh and then up to fifth and then fourth and then fifth and then seventh and then fourth. He bounces around quite a bit. In the middle of the lineup, though, a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed, good speed, a little bit of pop. Uh, you know, to this point of the season, he's batting 289. Uh, I think that he is somebody where, if you're talking a NFBC 15 team, five outfielder league, absolutely a must roster player. He's not somebody I'd look at in your 10s and 12 team leagues, but Edward Oliveras, definitely somebody that I would be looking at in your 15 teamers. 
or even a 14-teamer. Anything kind of deeper than 12, I think Oliveras, or if it's a 12-teamer with five outfielders, I think he could potentially uh, make some noise there as well. Carlos Correa, assuming we still have to hold in a 15-team league. Absolutely, yeah. Carlos Correa, you're still holding him everywhere, uh, deeper league especially, because there are just really no options. He started off slow for sure. At the end of the day, he's not going to give you speed, but he is going to give you a solid batting average. He'll probably still hit 20-plus home runs, and he's probably going to give you somewhere in the neighborhood of like 130, 140 runs in RBIs. I am I was down on Correa coming into the year. I've been down on Correa for several seasons. I don't think he's a great fantasy asset, but in a 15-team league, I can't imagine that your options are that wide and ranging uh, on the waiver wire for shortstops of all positions, a position that has lost several members of their ranks. Now, we got Tim Anderson coming back on Tuesday, but... Shortstop is not a deep position like it once was, especially with the injuries we've seen, Seager and O'Neill Cruz. And I would not be moving on from Carlos Correa in a 15-team league. Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore, rest of season outlook slash potential. Josiah Gray, uh, I think we're seeing the breakout happen in front of our eyes here. He has looked fantastic this entire season. Bad opening day against Atlanta, which will happen. Since then, he's gone through Colorado, in Colorado, at the Angels, Baltimore, at the Mets, Pittsburgh. I mean, everybody knows Pittsburgh is the greatest team in the world now. Oh, God, it's another thing. People are saying Pittsburgh's going to make the playoffs. I think it's hilarious. Won't get into that because we talked about it last week. But Josiah Gray went through them, went through a lot of teams so far this year. 31 strikeouts and 33 innings. You'd like a little bit more. But a 267 ERA with a 128 whip is golden for Josiah Gray. He is somebody where I have a lot of faith. I think he could be a fantasy stud probably come next season. But this year, we are starting to see the breakout. Mackenzie Gore, you know, we saw the breakout for a small sample size last year in San Diego before he was traded. Didn't look so good. You know, well, he was he started off very good, and then he kind of tailed off, and then he was traded as part of the Juan Soto deal. Didn't look as good once he got traded, and I don't think he's really spent that much time in the bigs, if at all. Once He he might have made a few starts down the stretch, actually. But this year, he looks like a different pitcher. The strikeouts have been crazy good. He's already won three starts, which, you know, you're not going to see a lot of wins from him. But he's keeping the ratios down. He's getting the strikeouts up. I think they're both plays in, in all leagues, really. I think even in your 10, 12-team leagues, Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore should be rostered. And I think if I had to choose between them, probably go for Mackenzie Gore, but either or, uh, I think they're both guys that you should really be interested in. Let's talk about Nick Lodolo and Reed Detmers. There's actually a couple of Nick Lodolo questions, so I'll address them both now. One of them is hold them in a 10-team league head-to-head. Yeah, I, I'm not getting rid of Nick Lodolo yet. The potential is still so good with him there. He started off the season so well, and yes, it's been a couple of bad outings in a row. It's been a few bad outings in a row. But it's still way too soon to give up on a talent like him with the kind of strikeouts that he provides. Bad ballpark, bad team context, but I'm still very far away from dropping Nick Lodolo at this point. Reed Detmers, uh, and the part, second part of the question is, is it time to consider dropping them for arms like Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, Mitch Keller, Jose Barrios, and Logan Allen? Really good question. All pitchers that are available here and there in 12-team um, Yahoo 12-man Roto League. So, it's tempting. It's really tempting to want to go for a lot of those guys, but I think the upside is still greater when you're talking about Detmers and Lodolo, specifically with Lodolo, with the Ks that he brings. Detmers has started to do that more this season. The results have not really been there. They have kind of been in and out. Like the Boston start was really good. Kansas City, he did well. Seattle, first start of the year, he did well, but also, you know, the Toronto start wasn't good. Milwaukee wasn't good for Reed Detmers. He's not somebody that I'm anywhere near giving up on yet. It's an interesting question uh, for Gore, for Gray, for Keller, for Barrios, for Logan Allen. I don't think I could do it. I honestly don't think I could do it. All of those guys are viable 12-team arms. 
If the worst of your pitching staff is Lodolo and Detmers, I think you're doing very well. And I can understand wanting to pick up literally any of these guys. They're all guys that I am fairly confident in. Barrios, a little bit less than the other ones probably. But that's probably just because I watch him pitch so much in Toronto. But I think at this point, you probably just should stand pat with Lodolo and Detmers. It's tough. Uh, but I, I'm still going with the duo there with the, the boys in red, Lodolo and Reed Detmers. Now, this one is interesting. Taylor Walls or Gunnar Henderson for the rest of the season. Gunnar Henderson has been absolutely dreadful. I have been one league, and I'm still starting him, but it's been it's been a question for sure these last couple of weeks of whether or not I'm going to put him out in the lineup. He's not been good. He has two home runs, one steal, and a 189 batting average. I'm still not ready to move him, uh, you know, put Taylor Walls ahead of him. We talked about Taylor Walls and how I'm pretty sure that he's going to play five-ish days per week. There's also the fact that it's the Rays, and I don't really know what the Rays are going to do. The Rays are strange. They might put him every day in the lineup. He might become the everyday utility guy where, you know, he's giving somebody a day off every day. Maybe he gets in at DH the random day here and there. He's playing all over the infield. I don't know for sure that that's what's going to happen. I know for sure that Baltimore is going to play Gunnar Henderson. He's not going back down. You know, I think if they were going to send him back down, they would have already done it at this point. After a month, I don't see him going down. He's going to play consistently giving you more power than you're going to see from Walls. The speed, probably going to be fairly close at the end of the day. They're both going to give you maybe, you know, I can't remember how many steals Taylor Walls would typically give you in the minor leagues. I don't think it was a crazy number, but, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, low. I think it was low-end double digits for him in the minors. Let me just pull it up. Yeah, he had one year where he had 31 in, in single A, uh, but you're generally looking at probably about a 10-steal guy from him. Gunnar Henderson, probably more steals upside and I think he's going to play more often than we're going to see Walls. As much as I think Walls will play most days, Henderson will play every day, and I don't think that he is somebody that we're, we have to be that worried long-term. I understand wanting to go with Walls based on how he's performed, but I don't think I'm ready to make that kind of move here. Um, when do you think Christian Incarnation Strand gets called up, and what it affects Spencer Steers at bats in particular? Sincerely, a Steer owner who just wants to take advantage of Great American Ballpark and be ahead of the curve on this. I'm really not sure what the plan would be. That's a very good question in terms of what they're going to do with Encarnacion Strand. Once he, and first of all, when will he come up? Because he is mashing. He has been incredible so far uh, down at the minor leagues this season. Now, Spencer Steer is playing generally at first base for them. I think Encarnacion Strand is, I believe, more third base. Uh, I let me let me just double check that because I am not a hundred percent sure. Uh, Incarnacion Strand. That question came in after I started recording. Yeah, he's like a first base, third base guy. Again, apologies when I get minor league questions. I do my best to answer them. I'm just not somebody who pays that much attention to the minor league levels. Uh, Incarnacion Strand, I think he's he's capable of playing first and third base. So Steer, they got going at first. Nick Senzel, and he's playing third. It's tricky. I think if they're going to call up Incarnacion Strand, then he's going to play for sure. I don't know that it would affect Spencer Steer necessarily because I think they're going to do what they can to get him his at-bats as well. He's been very good so far this season. He's been kind of tailing off this last week a little bit, bad week, 5 for 27. For the course of the season, he's still been pretty good. Now, is there a chance that he would lose his spot to Strand? It is possible, but I I don't think that they're going to call him up the expense of Spencer Steer. I think they're likely would – I think it's it's unknowable – but I think that they would get both of them into the lineup, and maybe you'd lose the odd day here and there for Spencer Steer, but I think that you wouldn't have to worry about it being that big of, of a deal, really. It depends on your league. If you're setting weekly lineups and he comes up and he starts taking away at bats from him, 
then you probably have to worry a little bit about what we're going to expect from Spencer Steer. At this point, I think it's a little bit too soon to, to really worry about that. I think Strandall is going to play more third base for them. Nick Senzel might be the odd man out there. Maybe Nick Senzel moves to the outfield because he is more of an outfielder, I think. But he's played yeah, 11 times in center, 8 times at third this year, 4 times at second base. It'll be tricky to figure out, but I don't think that it would be Steer losing the at-bats. I'm not really sure what they would do necessarily. Maybe it would be Henry Ramos, who's been pretty good. Maybe it's Stuart Fairchild. I wouldn't really worry about Spencer Steer being the guy who isn't getting the playing time, if that is the case. The next thought, actually, or the next question here was about Nick Senzel. So far, so good. You know, I talked about him in my notes. I think that he is somebody who's looked very good. He's a deeper league guy. Uh, you know, I don't know that he is somebody who's going to cut it in your shallow leagues. If he asked specifically from a points league context, I think he's fine. You know, he walks enough. He does enough of everything for you where, you know, he's, he's solid, but it'd have to be a deeper league. You know, this is not going to be your 12 teamers. This is not going to be your 10 teamers. This is going to have to be in a deeper format where I would be kind of interested at that point in Nick Senzel, but 15 teamers, it's not going to be anything more shallow than that. Next question, would you consider this to be a fair trade and which side do you like better? A is Seager, side A is Seager, side B is Swanson, Alexis Diaz, and Zach Eflin. I would take side B there, I think. Dansby Swanson, you get a, an elite. I mean, I love Corey Seager. Corey Seager had looked really good this year before he got hurt. But at the same time, you're getting a guy in Dansby Swanson who is fairly comparable. And Dansby Swanson has been pretty damn good this season as well. Uh, you get that to go along with Alexis Diaz, who is potentially going to be an elite closer. So far this year, he has been an elite closer. Four saves, 19 strikeouts in nine innings. And then you throw in Zach Eflin there as well. I think it's his, it's bread and butter, uh, that kind of side of the trade. Zach Eflin has also been very good so far this season in his 21 innings, three ERA, won three games, 21 strikeouts. Uh, it's an easy side B for me there, as much as I like Corey Seager. Uh, would you add Brett Beatty over Taylor Ward, Christian Walker, or Tyler O'Neill? Yeah, over Taylor Ward, I would. Not over the other two. Taylor Ward is losing. Uh, it seems he's losing credibility in that lineup there. He's moving down the order. He's not playing all the time. Uh, he's actually not playing. It was yesterday he got the day off, but it seems to be a more of a trend now. He has not looked good so far this season. Brett Beatty has looked very good. Uh, he is somebody where I would be interested in adding him in all formats if you can. I added him in a 10-team league. I had to drop him because I had Manny Machado and my utilities were already, you know, already filled up with guys like Jorge Mateo and I, I just couldn't do it. Um, so I think Brett Beatty is still viable in a 10 team league. Just might not be, you know, the old saying might not be your team, but he should be rostered on some team. The other options there, Christian Walker, Tyler O'Neill, still too soon for me to give up on those kind of guys. Christian Walker, I mean, he's been good this year. He's got four home runs. He's got 30 runs in RBIs combined. He's batting 248, but that's about what you would expect. Tyler O'Neill, it's been disappointing based on the way they've been using him. But I think the outlook is still a lot better. If you look at, you know, the season as a whole, I would take Tyler O'Neill over Taylor Ward. And then with Christian Walker, I'd probably prefer Walker there. But I would prefer Brett Beatty over Taylor Ward. That would be the move that i make there. Uh, in that regard. Last question here. Hold Bohm, Alec Bohm, in shallow league. So he's not saying specifically how deep the league is, but I don't think it really matters. Alec Bohm, he's been cold the last week. Still somebody that I, I think is a must-roster, must-start player. Somebody who's capable of batting close to 300, good power, 
couple of steals he'll throw in there. A lineup that is going to be soon getting back Bryce Harper. In fact, they'll be getting back Bryce Harper tomorrow. Uh, hopefully, knock on wood, there's nothing that changes there. I, I'm still holding him where I can. If you give me a specific, you know, this player or that player, then I'll tell you who I prefer. But in a vacuum, I think Alec Bohm is somebody that you're holding regardless of how deep the league is. Uh, you want to talk about an eight-team league? Maybe, it's, you know, maybe a little bit more fringy there. Most of you, I think, are 10 and 12-team league guys. And in that case, Alec Bohm should still be on rosters. He's 85% rostered right now on Yahoo. Still feels correct. That feels like a very solid number for him. It could even be a little bit higher. But Alec Bohm is not somebody that I would be ready to move on from just yet. Guys, appreciate all the and all the questions on Twitter. You know, I do that about once a week. I really appreciate you guys giving me interaction there. It helps out with the show. It helps you guys out. Everybody helps out everybody, which is a great thing here in the community of fantasy baseball and baseball that we we all love so much. And I love it because of you guys. Hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Hit us up at Ethos Fantasy BB for any of our podcasts, articles, news, and notes. I try and share out stuff when I can, but I'm not always the one who's editing it and posting it. Sometimes something goes out, and it's, you know, I have no idea about it. That's how we're doing here at Sports Ethos. We got so much content, sometimes I can't even keep track of it all. We got a bunch of great editors and writers who are doing God's work, so make sure you're checking it out, dropping a follow, and supporting all the work that they're doing at Ethos Fantasy BB. And like I said off the top, if you're somebody who is interested in trying to break into the quote-unquote fantasy biz, shoot me a message at JoeOrico99 or respond to my tweet from yesterday talking about team coverage, talking about bringing people into the fold one way or another. If you're interested, if you're passionate, we want to hear from you, so reach out at JoeOrico99. But guys, until tomorrow, have a great night. Successful fantasy nights, hopefully. Relax, enjoy, spend time with your friends and family. And we'll hang out again tomorrow and do it all again. But until then, guys, take care. Have a great night. And cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.